It's Wednesday, December 8th. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Real Talk. Welcome to the show. You never know. Maybe it's someone's first time downloading this show or maybe even streaming us live. It's great to have you here. The show, uh, this episode and everyone we've done presented by our sponsors at Bitcoin. Well, I saw yesterday on their Instagram, it pops up on their Instagram story at the Bitcoin. Well, they're they're inviting you to book your one on one consultation with their Bitcoin specialist at their new location at 201 Portage Avenue in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Congratulations, Bitcoin. Well, they've got more than 200 Bitcoin ATMs across the country and outside Canada continuing to grow. Great stuff. You can find them on Instagram and under the sponsors tab on our website at ryanjesperson.com. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Coming up in about nine minutes, we're keeping an eye on a new revival of one of the most popular television shows of all time, Sex in the City. You're going, you guys are leading with Sex in the City? Just wait. There's a 10-episode revival set to premiere coming up in, uh, well, tomorrow, called And Just Like That. But one of the more prominent Canadian actors involved in American television over the past 30 years, fair to say, Kim Cattrall, will not be on the show. We're going to find out how long are friendships supposed to last? That's what that's what the producers of the show say. The show's writers say that not every friendship lasts. It's 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 normal. It's not unusual that Kim Cattrall wouldn't be there or Samantha, I should say, in character. Uh, Dr. Bill Rollins is an expert on friendship. He's written a couple of books on friendship out of the University of Ohio, Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. He's going to join us in about 10 minutes. Looking forward to that. Energy economist Andrew Leach is going to join us in about half an hour or so. An interesting piece in the Globe and Mail. Uh, we keep hearing about our home province, Alberta, and its swagger being back and this big boom. And and so it, when you have a chance to talk to an economist, an energy economist, it's valuable because they understand the industry and they understand the dollars and cents of it all, where it is, where it's coming from and where it's going, right? A piece in the Globe and Mail yesterday by Dr. Leach, Alberta's coffers are flush with cash from the oil sense. So why doesn't it feel like a boom? Why doesn't it feel like a boom? We'll go there in about a half an hour's time. Plus, we're going to take a look at other stories making news today, including the Americans and the Russians a meeting yesterday between American President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Details on that in just a second. If you're in our neck of the woods across the country, you've probably been paying attention or maybe you haven't. As a matter of fact, that's that's kind of the point. Kind of the point is that maybe you have not been up to speed or paying attention to to deliberations, to debate, and then a vote in the Alberta legislature last night. As a matter of fact, it was it was this morning. It was about two in the morning today, two thirty in the morning today on Bill eighty one. And people are talking about Bill eighty one. This isn't this isn't a, a government bill, an initiative to close loopholes. They say they're concerned about these loopholes that they want to close the Election Statutes Amendment Act, and so they want to talk about campaign donations. And they want to talk about how party memberships can be purchased because party memberships are big in nomination races, who gets to run for the party in each riding, and then also how are decisions made within the party. And so we wanted to touch on that, too. That's a developing story today, and it's being described. A lot of people are crying foul. People in prominent positions like city councilor Andrew Knack from our home city of Edmonton. Check this out. He says he says he, he writes this after midnight. So he wrote this about eight hours ago. We're coming to you live right now at about 835 Mountain Time. He says, listening to the debate 
of Bill 81 is beyond troubling. He says the changes being made are undemocratic. This is a city councilor from his official account. He says people should be outraged that these changes are happening and that such an important issue is being debated after midnight when many people are sleeping. Maybe even you too, right? He says allowing somebody to buy a party membership for somebody else without their clear consent is not democratic. I can't believe this idea would be brought forward by any political party in Canada. Maybe I'd expect this from a country that doesn't believe in democracy. Says the counselor, if you're reading this after you wake up or if you're tuning into Real Talk right now, first thing, he says you can catch up on the terrible changes to our democratic process by reading this thread from Michelle Belafontaine, who deserves a huge shout out. The CBC's Alberta legislature correspondent. She was up following this thing, live tweeting last night till three in the morning. I want to rip through it. I'm not going to go through her entire live tweet because, boy, did she ever deliver last night. It would take me 20 minutes to go through it. She says, you know, Jason Kenny's in the house right now. This is 10 hours ago. So this is about 10 o'clock at night. She says, Casey Maddow, who's Alberta's justice minister, saying at the time that the chief electoral officer, Glenn Ressler, you remember the ones that were investigating all the sort of alleged malfeasance that was going on? So the chief electoral officer, Glenn Ressler, his interpretation is wrong on the membership issue. Alberta's justice minister believes that you should be able or anybody should be able to buy party memberships for however many people you like, whether those people know it or not. Like to put that into perspective, somebody should be able to buy me an NDP membership. And then I guess I could get dragged by some people for being an NDP member. But what if I didn't even know? Or what if somebody bought me a UCP membership for Christmas and decided to put it in my stocking alongside everything else from Santa Claus without without my consent? And then now I'm a UCP member. I mean, what if some of my friends find out? She goes on to say the justice minister keeps insisting it's not illegal to buy party memberships for other people. Think of how strange that is. The justice minister, solicitor general for the province, keeps insisting it's not illegal to buy party memberships for other people. So the chief electoral officer says people can only buy memberships for themselves and not for others under election law. But the justice minister says wrestlers wrong and that it's fine to buy memberships for others. I oftentimes, you know, we, we, we toyed with the, the idea of the slogan of this show being ask why. Always ask why. Why would it make sense for somebody to be able to buy a whole bunch of party memberships for other people without their consent? Like, why? And just sit with that for a bit. So, of course, you know, I could read all about what the opposition has to say about this. And you'd say, oh, you know, you're just going to platform the opposition. I don't need to read. That's what was remarkable about what happened last night is I don't need to read what the opposition was saying because the calls were coming from inside the House, from inside Jason Kenney's United Conservative Party, from people like Angela Pitt out of Airdrie, the MLA there, who gets upset at her colleague, and MLA Joe uh, Scow, who's been doing a lot of heavy lifting for Kenny over the last little while. So Scow is yelling at Joe Cece, the NDP, the former finance minister, insults him by calling him the worst finance minister of all time. If you're going to say, what is this, the playground? Just wait. So then United Conservative MLA Dave Hansen says he wants to introduce an amendment. Keep in mind, this is his party's bill. He wants to introduce an amendment. So people have to get permission from someone they're selling a membership to. Sounds pretty reasonable. So he says he'll vote against the bill. And then Todd Lowen, who was on our show a while ago, remember him? He got kicked out of the United Conservative Party. He calls it disgusting. 
And then Leela Ahir, you remember she was on the show a while back, another United Conservative MLA. She thanks the chief electoral officer for his interpretation. She's concerned about membership sales. She, a United Conservative MLA, a former minister, says any special interest group could come in and change the nomination process by buying nominations. She knows what's going on. Everybody knows what's going on. So here says she's with Hansen. Remember, Hansen says he's got a problem with this. All of them, the United Conservatives. And then Drew Barnes, former United Conservative, now an independent. Remember, he got kicked out with Todd Lowen. Drew's been on the show a couple of times. He says what's happening is undemocratic. Another conservative said this is undemocratic. He says this mirrors what happened in the UCP leadership, which is still under investigation by the RCMP. Writes Michelle Belafontaine, the objective journalist, so much drama right now. Holy cannoli. It's like all the bad feelings current and former United Conservative MLAs have been suppressing are exploding in the final hours of the fall sitting. And that's where she nails it. Well, I mean, she nailed it all night long, but. Richard Godfrey, another conservative, says he wants to have written consent for people to be sold memberships. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Doesn't I don't care what party you support. I don't care whether you're left wing or right wing or center or who you voted for in past or who you might vote for in future. Doesn't it make sense that if you're buying a membership for somebody to a political party, you should have their signature. You should have their consent. You should have their under the, under their knowledge. Doesn't that make sense? Justice Minister fighting back on this one, writes Michelle. Kenny votes against it, you know, votes against hearing these amendments. So. Sarah Hoffman chimes in, former health minister, NDP MLA, says, you know, given the RCMP investigations into your leadership race, you'd you'd think the government might be more cautious. Instead, you're going to change the law. And it goes on and on and back and forth. And ultimately, it gets to a point where they vote way after midnight. Shame on you, says Drew Barnes to the justice minister, Casey Maddu, says this is definitely going to be challenged in court. They say they can't delay it because the leadership review is coming up. Nomination process is coming up. There's fundraising implications to this bill. We can't delay it. We have to vote now. It's the final day of the fall sitting of the legislature. We have to vote now, they say. And so a bunch of these conservatives say, OK, well, I, I, I guess we're just going to we're going to vote against it. Right. Like, I guess that's the way it's going to go. Todd Lowen says this is called invoking closure. When you say, no, we're moving. We're voting. Todd Lowen's. Well, he he pulls out. There's some supercharged words in the Alberta legislature. One of them is Bill Six. If you look back on people that were really unimpressed with Rachel Notley's NDP early in its tenure, that government's tenure, a big one was Bill Six, the Farm. It's not what it, you know. We call it colloquially the Farm Safety Act, the contentious farm bill, and that government invoked closure. One of the few times points out conservative Todd Lowen. He says what goes around comes around, says this government, the United Conservative government has invoked closure 25 times, says this conservative. The hypocrisy is astounding. Hypocrisy, undemocratic, insulting. These are the words last night from within the party or former party MLAs before they were kicked out. Richard Godfrey out of Calgary. He's been a good conservative for a lot of years, towed the party line. We've seen it. He asks, why are we rushing this? Why not take the time to get it right? Let's bring it back in the spring. Let's raise the bar. Let's get it right. So Christina Gray chimes in. She's with the NDP. She says, you know, we could have spent more time on this. You know, you know, 
Shane Getson, conservative, comes back to her and he's telling Rod Loyola, another another NDP in the House, get this. He says, I really don't like you. This is on the this is on the record, right? So everyone can hear it. He says, I don't like you. <laughs> Getson says I, he, he likes four NDP MLAs. He likes Christina Gray, Nicole Gehring, Darren Billis and Chris Nielsen, but he doesn't like Rod Loyola. Like, is this grade four? I really don't like you. There's four that I do like, but these are the ones I really don't like. Your tax dollars at work, everybody. So he withdraws his remark because that's kind of how it works down there. So the closure motion passes. And ultimately, this goes down to a vote. And it's and, and it's really remarkable what happened. Godfried Hansen, Ahir, Lowen, Barnes, all vote with the NDP on this that wraps up the fall sitting of the Alberta legislature, the longest in history, 139 days. Unbelievable. We wanted to give you the TLDR on that, right? Too long. Didn't read. What happened? Break it down. Break it down in language that average, ordinary, everyday folks use. That's what went down last night. So you'll hear it today. You'll see it on your social media, especially if you're on Twitter. I think probably you'll see it a lot, maybe a little bit on Facebook. You'll hear you'll see people talking about an affront to democracy. You'll see people raising red flags. And if you're wondering what it's about, that's what it's about. And it's something that we'll continue to keep an eye on because it will become more and more relevant. Hey, you never know who might get you a party membership for Christmas, right? You never know. Our friends at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge want to remind you that speaking of the holiday season, it's a perfect time of year to consider upgrading your family's ride. And if you want to do it in surprise fashion, the stock is better on their lots right now than it has been in almost two years. You can also search their inventory online, including that 2022 Jeep Wagoneer. Everyone's super excited about this. This is Jeep's re-entry into the full-size luxury class. This will go toe-to-toe against the Navigator and the Escalade, and people are loving what Jeep's come up with. With this design, you can check it out online, check out inventory, or schedule a test drive. You can go under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Our friends at Local Waste are getting set, buckled up for another edition of Trash Talk coming up this Friday. The team at Local Waste wants to remind you that in addition to the waste and recycling collection they do in construction, commercial, and residential contexts, they're also looking for partners, entrepreneurs that may be looking around their neck of the woods and saying, I think we could do some real business with a Local Waste truck or two here. They're constantly growing their footprint. We don't update you every day, but it's remarkable what this company is doing in Alberta and Saskatchewan right now. You can get in touch with them anytime in any context at localwaste.ca. And we wanted to take a look before we get into talk on friendship. We're about 20 minutes away from Andrew Leach to talk about the economics of energy. We wanted to remind you that the Real Talk Cask Number One Bourbon is now available to the public for purchase. And we're keeping an eye on what you're telling us using our hashtag RealTalkRJ. I love this one from Shauna yesterday. She tweets, looky what I got. And a beautiful photo of our Woody Creek Distillers Real Talk Cast Number 1 bourbon. I, I tweeted back at Shauna. I said, somebody must really appreciate you. So her friend, Deirdre, you probably listen to Deirdre's podcast, by the way. Deirdre Mitchell McLean, you know who I'm talking about. She says, ooh, let us know. So Shauna cracks the bottle. Well done, Shauna. Her review here, she says, it's definitely 100 proof. (laughs) She says, it packs a punch, but it's very smooth at taste and on finish. Soft aftertaste. No smoke or peat. A great opener whiskey. I'll definitely be into it. 
for their next No Pants Poker game. That sounds like a lot of fun. So, Shauna, enjoy the bottle. You can pick up the Real Talk Cast Number 1 bourbon in Edmonton at Sherbrooke Liquor and at Whiskey Drop and in Calgary at Vine Arts. You can search for Woody Creek online. They've made their Canadian debut this week, and we're proud to be partnering with them. So Sex in the City is back. If you're a huge fan of the show, you don't need us to tell you that. The rumblings, the reviews, have the excitement's been building over the past number of months since the project was announced. And just like that, catches up with the women of the show, with one exception, as mentioned, Samantha, uh, also known as Canadian actor Kim Cattrall's not there. The show's writers have written her off the series saying some friendships end. What got us thinking? How long should friendships last? I mean, some of you are probably besties with your kindergarten deskmate, right? Still, and, and some of you might have connected with someone in, maybe since COVID. And you wonder if you two might be this tight for the rest of your lives. Uh, Dr. William Rollins is a friendship expert. He's a professor emeritus of interpersonal communication at Ohio University. He's literally written books on this. Two award-winning books, including Friendship Matters and The Compass of friendship, as well as a whole bunch of articles about the benefits and challenges of friendship across the course of our lives. It's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Rollins to the show. Thanks for making time for us, my friend. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> what you know, I oftentimes I'll use that word friend. Not, I don't want to say as a throwaway. It's an indicator that you that you feel an affinity to someone or that you approach them with a certain warmth. But when you're and now and when you're either analyzing or, or, or taking a look and sort of digging into the complexities of friendship, how do you define friendship? You know, it's it's interesting because. It's a pretty promiscuous word, Ryan, like you said. I mean, friendship can stand for a friend can stand for someone we just met at the bar to someone that we've known, like you said, since second grade. I mean, um, it covers a broad, broad gamut of relationships. But if you want to define this with the meaning that I think you and I want to hold for the for the word friendship, we're talking about something that's personal we're talking about something that involves affection. We're talking about something that is voluntary, something is mutual, and something that's equal. So the thing about friendship that makes it distinctive from other relationships is that it's voluntary. You choose your friends and your friends choose you. So, you know, contrast that with family. You're always someone's brother, sister, son, or daughter. Kin, blood is thicker than mud. You talk about work relationships governed by contracts, partnerships. You know, any of these relationships, there's something outside of the relationship that makes people stay in the relationship. Friendship is voluntary. So we can, we can glide out of friendships across the life course. And, that, and, and the only way you can know if you're still friends is to renew contact reach out and find out, are we still friends? So I hope that helps you for starting. It's very crucial that friendship's voluntary. There's one other thing I'd say, Ryan, that I think, because I'm kind of captivated with friendship, it, it's, it's simultaneously, it, it's simultaneously a freestanding relationship. Like you probably have friends you made earlier in your life and they're your friends. They've survived different changes in your life. They're still your friends. But friendship can also be a dimension of another relationship. 
You can make friends with a work par partner or work par uh, associate. You can make friends with your brother or your sister. I mean, some of us treat one of our brothers as a friend and they treat us as a friend, but other, other relatives or brothers or sisters are brother and sister, you see? And so friendship can be a freestanding relationship or it can be a dimension of other relationships. And that makes it course in and out of both our public lives and our private lives. What observations have you made? And I guess this could be anecdotal. I mean, this could be your personal observations. I certainly have mine uh, that have maybe changed the dynamic of friendships or how we perceive them through this pandemic. It's um, wow. Um, I, I think that what has happened for a lot of people is that because we're, I mean, let's face it, the pandemic is an oppressive weight on our sense of every, what everyday life is, you know? I mean, I think everydayness has really been cramped by the pandemic, okay? So as a result of that, friendships are part of everyday life, Ryan. I mean, you know, we have people that we would work out with. We have people that we would see at the coffee shop. We have people that, that our paths would cross, that we would think of as friends, okay? Because again, there's this notion of friendship there's a broad gamut of friendship, and that's a lovely thing, okay? But it's also an ambiguous thing. During the pandemic, with our time so distorted, okay? Because you're like, it's like there's time for everything, but we can't really do many of the things we used to do. So what has happened with friendship is, I think a lot of people have had to decide who will they make the effort to see who will they make the effort to contact? And while that's always important with busy people during the pandemic, I think it's been, it's become essential to, to make that decision to reach out to your friend, to try to figure out how we might spend time, be it Zoom, be it good old fashioned phone call, meeting outside, uh, making sure we're both vaccinated, and then actually being in each other's presence. I actually think it is made people appreciate friendship more, even as it's made it uh, a lot more vulnerable. I love on our live chat this question from Alicia. She's watching us on YouTube right now. She says, question, do you think your partner should be your best friend? And it reminds me of a conversation I had with my wife that quickly got awkward when she said to me once, just we were just hanging out. It was just casual. It wasn't like a big formal question. She said, who would you say is your best friend? And I said a name and she went, excuse me, because it wasn't her name. And I went, well, you're my wife, right? You're my wife. I love you. I'm building a life with you. She goes, and I'm not your best friend. I was like, wow. And to be honest with you, it's kind of always annoyed me. The couples that wear best, you know, they wear the matching ski suits all the time. They have the matching his and hers shoes, uh, you know, and I, I just kind of thought, yeah, I don't know if we're best friends. I love the question from Alicia. What do you think? It's a terrific question. And I mean, I don't want to evaluate you, Ryan, but uh, feel free. I'm a real advocate. Remember, I said friendship can be a dimension of other relationships. And the thing is, is when someone considers their wife like their wife and they reserve whether they're friends or not, or their husband is sort of their husband. Now, that, I'll get into that in a second because that happens a lot of times. Um, 
Alicia, it's a terrific question. I think being friends is a really important part of, of close relationships, romantic relationships. And the reason is, is romance ebbs and flows, you know? There's tough times between people who love each other. Romantic love can be volatile, you know, it can be possessive, it can be jealous, and friendship kind of corrects for a lot of those things, okay? Because friends are nice to each other. Think about, think about, you know, we, we will do things with romantic partners that we would never even dream of doing to a friend, okay? So I think it's a very important part of friendship. In fact, you know, if you look at the research, it's like, you know, I'm interviewed a lot of times on Valentine's Day. And one thing I say is, is we don't really have a bona fide friendship day that celebrates friendship, okay? And, but what's important is, in terms of friendship is, is that, if people are friends before they become lovers, okay, they're nicer to each other. They're, they're, they, and they let each other down easier if the romance doesn't work out. Now, in terms of the long-term, Ryan, back to you. I mean, I, I'll tell you, the long run of adulthood involves a lot of trying times. If you're raising children, if you go through trouble at work, if you, you know, different tough times. and. I mean, I would argue, and I, and I deeply believe, is that people who are romantically involved love each other, husband and wife or as full-time partners. Friendship adds some uh, uh, forgiveness, some fun. You know, a lot of times people will say when they were friends, then when they became lovers, they were less comfortable around each other. And we know there's a dynamic to that. Okay, that's my answer, Alicia. It's well, a really... And then, really and then there's the question, I mean, just to, to further that or to, to, to write a new chapter on that. And then there's the folks that will attempt to be friends after being romantic partners to different or to varying degrees of success. It, you know, it can be tough uh, if you weren't friends while you were lovers. It can be tough to be friends afterwards. But see, I mean, that's. The thing about friendship that I think is so uh, actually magnificent, okay, is that you can choose to be friends. So maybe you were lovers, maybe you had a tough breakup, and some other time down the road, because you shared certain interests, maybe playing music, maybe playing sports, maybe some kind of reading club, you end up spending time again with each other again, and maybe can renegotiate a friendship. See, because it's a, it's based on choice, and I I think that's so significant hmm. for that reason. Uh, I want to go back to the live chat. Lala Zess says, just because the Sex and the City cast worked together doesn't mean they were friends. I've had coworkers that I loathed. To be clear, Lala says, we're not talking about the real humans. We're talking about the storyline. Samantha being written out of the story, saying they're not friends anymore. I don't pretend like I think that all castmates on television shows are pals. And obviously, there's a reason why Kim Cattrall is not there. And for all intents and purposes, it's a business-related or personal reason. It has nothing to do with friendship. That's how the script writers are handling it. It's a jumping-off point for a great conversation conversation with dr rollins ashley yes. says my bestie and i are celebrating 22 years of being non-sexually involved soulmates uh, tony says i have friendships male and female that have lasted more than 25 years sharon's been bffs with hers since they were 16 best friends says she's everything in my friend world we've never had a fight 
We've been through everything together, and I hate that she moved away 20 years ago. Is that a sign of dysfunction? This is not where Sharon's expecting me to go after her comment. Is it a dysfunctional friendship if there's never been a disagreement or a fight even once? Well, not necessarily, Ryan. I mean, here's the thing about friendships. People remain friends. First of all, I want to say, what was what was the woman's name who, who wrote in that comment? That was Sharon. Sharon, that was tremendously perceptive. Of course, that's a script and not necessarily real life, but that's very, very important because you also mentioned, you know, you know, you can be colleagues and work associates and not be friends. It's, again, a matter of choice. All right. Now, I'm not saying work people have to be friends, and I respect your comment there. Okay. Um, uh, back to your question, Ryan. Help me a second. Help me a second. Uh, is it dysfunctional? No. Because here's the deal. People remain friends. This is what has captivated my uh, intellectual curiosity for, for over 40 years. This, this flexibility of friendship, which is also its fragility, okay? Because we remain friends to the extent that we fulfill our mutual expectations. So Sharon, bless you and your friendship. If you guys love each other as friends, you have enjoyed each other, you continue to enjoy each other, and you, you don't fight, that's an expectation in the relationship that's continually upheld. Ryan, you, you know, you and I might have friends that like enough friction to get a grip, you know, we might... You know, we, we might get really pissed about, uh, you know, any number of issues, and it may be part of the relationship, okay? But that's what we've negotiated. Just like some friends require regular contact, and that regular contact could be daily, it could be weekly, it could be every six months. But we know it, we, we and we count on it. Bill, so, well, let me, so I've, you know, and I want to ask you this in closing, all right. Because I'm kind of this. I'll tell you something personal. And I and this is not like I, I don't feel good about this, actually. Um, but we call the show Real Talk. And so I promise I'll bring real talk. Uh, you know, I, right. I, I, I ended a friendship uh, over the course of this pandemic for, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but this person just exhausted me and they've departed from where they stood on a, a number of important issues, the way that they've treated people has changed uh, where they get their information is is a problem the information they share is a problem the way they conduct themselves uh you know in public and in private is problematic and i finally got to a point where i spelled it out and i, I let them know that that we're not talking anymore and i made my social media accounts inaccessible to them and we are not friends anymore and I did not make the decision lightly. Uh, there are people in my life who tolerate me a great degree, people whom I tolerate a great degree. Yes. When does it become, do you think, acceptable or even important to end a friendship? Absolutely. More power to you, Ryan. I mean, that's a terrific question. And also, I respect the decision you made. You see, friendship is all about the well-lived life. So a lot of times... We live in friendship with people because we both share a view of what's important in life. It could be simple pleasures. It could be political beliefs. It could be a number of things that make us who we are. And, you know, I talk in my books, Ryan, about judgment and acceptance in friendship. And it's like, you know, we expect our friends to accept us. 
And I think that's wonderful. I think, you know, a definition of friendship could be someone who sees you in ways that you like to be seen. We feel acceptance from friends, but we have judged each other to be worthy of that acceptance. We share certain values. And, and so when people say, when should friends end? Or in your, when you say, when is it justifiable to end friendships? A lot of times people will just drift apart until, you know, they just don't expect to be friends anymore. And that's sort of a passive way to maybe accomplish what you've done, because maybe they're observing this friend and realizing, I can't, I can't, I can't live in peace with this person. I don't respect the decisions they're making. I don't respect the beliefs that they're, what they're saying, what they're posting. And so I just back off. I admire what you've done. And I think a lot of us would do it in certain circumstances where we say to a friend, look, say like our friend is cheating on their wife or something. And they tell us about it. And you say, listen, man, you got to bring this to a stop or they're contemplating something dishonest. And you say, look, I'm your friend. But if you continue with this, I can't be your friend. And so I think your example is a very good one of it's once again, friends, friendship matters, gang. And it has to do with a well-lived life. It has to do with sharing a vision of what it means to live well. And if someone, and if someone that you have loved as a friend changes in ways that you can no longer, you no longer view as acceptable, we might forgive them at first a wonderful quality of friendship, but at a certain point, we may have to draw the line. It has to do with the integrity of the late, the relationship. Doctor, I can, I can already tell by the, the, what the people are sharing here in our chat and that, that when this podcast drops, we're doing this live now, but when this drops later today, I know that this is going to gain some traction. This is something, a conversation people really connect with. And we don't have these conversations to be, maybe you do, this is your wheelhouse, but we don't have these conversations all the time. Ryan, may I suggest one other thing to you? Mm. Because, I mean, I, I we don't. Because people take friendship for granted. They think it just happens. It doesn't just happen. It requires will to take the risk to invite somebody. You're working with someone, you're like, wow, I think we could be friends. Well, you have to take the risk to say, look, I got tickets to the game this weekend. Or, hey, I was thinking about catching this, this movie or just you want to go for coffee after work. But the last thing I wanted to say to you, Ryan, in terms of what you were just saying is, you know, that's what I'm talking about in the compass of friendship. It's like there's close friendship and there's civic friendship. Hmm. You know, you were talking earlier today about a sad thing that's happening in the realm of politics. You know, it requires civic friendship to live in peace as a community. And so that's another whole level of discussion because personal friendship can be part of what we do as a community or doing things together as a community can lead to personal friendship or a number of different things. Hmm. The spirit of friendship is vital to the well-lived life. Dr. William, uh, he's, he'll say, call me Bill. Dr. Bill, Bill Rollins, <laughs> professor emeritus <laughs> at Ohio University, uh, the award-winning author of the books, Friendship Matters and The Compass of Friendship. You can buy those books anywhere you find great books. And of course, you can check out more about what he does at Ohio.edu. Doctor, I feel like we, we talked about our buckets being filled. I feel like my bucket is full after this conversation. Thank you for your time. We appreciate it. It's great to speak with you, Ron. Thanks for your questions. Yeah, you bet. Conversation. 
I feel like I know exactly what Bill's talking about when he says like you can have like a work relationship or like a social interaction with somebody and then you see the potential for a friendship. Have you ever experienced that where all of a sudden it happened to me this summer? I was hosting a fundraising golf tournament and I get paired just with with strangers, so to speak. And uh, and, and I come up with them. And by the third or fourth tee box, we're looking at each other and we start. And, and I'm sort of like a I'm like a, I'm like a put it all out there. Very open and public guy, except for not at all. Right. People are under the perception that this, but but I'm really like my my tight people are tight to me, and my, my issues are my big issues are in within, and I deal with them within, and then present out what I. This is my tendency, and so for me, just to gush over somebody, a gush over a friendship was somewhat unusual. But by the third or fourth tee box, me and Richard and Todd are sitting there going, I think that we're probably going to wind up like being actual pals. Corey comes up another one. He goes, what's up? I go, well, I go we're just talking about how we're like kind of like all of a sudden, like really fast friends. And he goes, right. And then all of a sudden, guess what we are? And I'm like pals with these guys. Have you ever had it? You're laughing. If you, do, you know what I'm talking about, though? All of a sudden you're like, I think, hey, guys, like this isn't just me golfing with you because you're at a fundraiser and I got assigned to you and we're going to have a fun 18 holes together. I mean, I've golfed four or five rounds with them since and, and we're friends now. And it just there's something that clicked. Yeah, my my something that clicked moment is uh, a few years ago, Kelly and I were at Craft Beer Fest and um, we're just like really chatty with some of the staff there. One of them super hit it off with me and uh, ended up being my grip on a road trip film shoot two weeks later. Uh, yeah, you, or not two weeks later, but a month later. But if you like, can find yeah. friendship on a road trip, that's an added Pretty bonus. much, yeah. It was, uh, it was it just sort of came out of nowhere, and uh, great person. Glad that she's in my life. Hoyles, have you ever had that happen? Like, all of a sudden, you're like an interaction with somebody, just whatever, and then all of a sudden, bet you're like, I think we might actually be friends. Yeah. I mean, a variety of times. Yeah. Yeah. Is this something like, this was your booking, by the way, William Rawls. I thought that was fantastic. The, the, the idea of friendship and what it how it's defined like we're getting a ton of different comments here on our live chat the one that really stuck was it alicia that asked the original question about husbands and wives or partners husbands and husbands wives and wives whatever partners um should they be best friends i thought that that like that's kind of where the live chat went and people just took off and ran with that that's the big question one of them yeah i mean not married yeah (laughs) but uh i I think my dream would be that, yeah, you know, we have our lives would go in parallel. So it's not that we are intertwined, that they're like, they can't be separated, but like I walk beside that person and yeah, they can have their own interests. I can have mine. We have some shared. I mean, this is me blue sky in it. This person doesn't exist, but But good. And me, not for me to say, but it's like the same thing. I love that walking parallel. You know, separate bank accounts too. That's my thinking. Yes. Yeah. What do people with shared bank accounts do around Christmas? What do they do? Or surprise trips? Like it's like yeah, like how do you do, how do you do anything? Yeah, you know, let alone drop four hundred bucks on a little luxury item for yourself. How are you going to do that? Haas says my last partner was my best friend. The void left by losing both my partner and my best friend was massive. Haas, love to you. Tracy says it's not a one size fits all situation. Maybe your spouse is not your best friend, but that doesn't mean it works for other couples that way. Totally. Ashley says my husband is not my best friend, and I am not his. I love him dearly. But he's not my best friend. He has a best friend from junior high. We value our friendships outside of our marriage. Eddie says, I found out my close friends are batshit crazy now and discovered how much their families depended on me to keep them sane. Fatima, my husband's not my best friend. I love him, but I don't like him all the time. 
Carrie and I say that all the time to each other. It's not an unhealthy comment. We, I, we, I love you, but I do not like you right now. But I love you. I will always love you. The uh, the highest compliment I think a, a friend paid Kelly and I together is said, you're always on each other's team. And I yeah. was like, that is such a perfect definition. Yes. You never run them into the ground. Yeah. But even teammates can say, you got to be better. Yep. 100%. Karen says my weekly zoom and wine call with my four girlfriends. We've been friends since junior high has really helped me get through the pandemic. We've connected more often through COVID Karen. I'm with you a hundred percent. If you follow me on Instagram, you've seen some photos I posted. Uh, I guess it would have been around the end of August or something like that. We were on Valdez Island. You can go check it out at Ryan Jesperson. And, and I shared a few photos of that beautiful Island just off Galliano Island. And uh, these are guys, we called it Brovid 19. It was like our gathering started weekly. And then we moved it to monthly when we realized the pandemic would be more than one month total. And we'd gather on Zoom. We still do once a month and play online poker and talk about in some cases, frivolous and ridiculous things, and in other cases, pretty serious stuff. And uh, and it's been really special because we did not do that before. We're friends, chums, as we say, since university. But COVID has brought us back into regular fellowship. Karen, I know exactly what you're talking about. Also, Karen, if you're looking for phenomenal wine, I was always looking for, I'm always looking for a segue, Karen. You and your girlfriends from junior high... For your next wine gathering, why not visit the Kendall Jackson Winery online at kj.com. Kendall Jackson is our official Real Talk wine sponsor for the month of December. You know this name. It is one of the leading names uh, when it comes to quality wines made from around the world. They take big steps to leave small footprints. They're the only American winery, by the way, to share ownership in a French stave mill. That means that they're getting their oak barrels right from the source. And of course, they're com- committed to quality. They're, they're not you know, resorting to oak alternatives like a lot of other winemakers are right now with some of the shortages. They're aging their wine in, in real French oak. It's part of that Kendall Jackson guarantee. They've also left half of their total acreage to grow wild in support of biodiversity. This is their commitment to land preservation. You can learn more about Kendall Jackson, the family of fine wines at KJ.com. Our friends at McBain Camera want to remind you that the McBain holiday sale continues, and that includes a chance to save $400 on the Fujifilm X-T4 camera body. Whether it's photography or videography, wherever you're applying your creative talent, the Fujifilm X-T4 has been designed to be the ultimate hybrid image-making tool. It's got that powerful 26.1 megapixel sensor and then that state-of-the-art five-axis in-body image stabilization, which means you're not going to get blurry, lousy-looking photos. The camera's going to make you look good. And right now, it's only $18.99.99 at mcbainecamera.com, or you can see them in-store at all six locations. If you live in our home city of Edmonton, 24-hour deliveries available. McBain, create to inspire. Our friends at Breathe Outdoors want to give you a heads up coming up this weekend. It's a big weekend for them. You you know, you've known them since the 60s at Campers Village. It's now Breathe Outdoors at breatheoutdoors.ca. Their winter adventure sale starts in a couple of days, starts on Friday, up to 40% off select gear. Now, select items only, but there's a great range of, of clothing for different outdoor pursuits, equipment, footwear, travel items. Maybe you're an adventure traveler. The best way to find out What's on sale is to sign up today for their Campers Club. 
That's the newsletter list that has some great perks. You can find out all the details at breatheoutdoors.ca. Well, there's a lot of talk in our neck of the woods about swagger, about how our home province of Alberta has its swagger back, about how there's a boom. A lot of people are looking for the evidence on that, including our next guest who wrote a piece in the Globe and Mail. Alberta's coffers are flush with cash from the oil sense. So why doesn't it feel like a boom? Dr. Andrew Leach is an energy and environmental economist, his doctorate in economics, economics, the Ph.D. there from Queens University, uh, an associate professor at the Alberta School of Business, University of Alberta, and a good friend of this show. My friend, welcome back. It feels like it's been a while since we've chatted. It has been a while. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Well, people have, have, have sort of looked to you for a good number of years, Andrew, for steady analysis of what's going on. There's a lot of political noise happening and a lot of talk of swagger. Now, I want to make very clear that I'm never going to cheer against this province. Not at all. I'd love to see Alberta's and Canada's economies thrive. So first of all, the word swagger. Does Alberta, from an economic standpoint, indeed have its swagger back? Uh, I still don't think we're there from even a fiscal perspective. So the government's budget is still not balanced. We're not back to those days of of roaring surpluses and all types of, um, you know, any project that was had merit would be funded. I think we're still in a period where the government is having to make a lot of, of tough choices. So that Alberta that we knew in you know the mid 2000s, even into 2010s, uh, that's not back yet. And, and I think the same is true on the industry side. We, we see a lot of great financial news. I think we'll see some today, uh, if I'm not mistaken, from Synovus today. So lots of great financial news on, on uh, how the companies are positioned, but you're not seeing that flow down in the same way yet, at least to the people. So, you know, drive in from the airport and, and you see a very different city of Edmonton or in the commute patterns in the morning, there's a very different city of Edmonton than what we know. And of course, Calgary downtown, very different. And the small towns are very different than than what they were still during that uh, that boom time. Just to spell it out, you, you mean it's just not as busy? It's not as busy. Yeah, so that's a good There's There's not as much. There's not that tens of billions of dollars of foreign direct investment piling in here to build new projects, to chase that, uh, you know, this was the place in the world to invest in in oil for a, a short period of time, or really a decade, I guess. And that's gone, that's gone away now, it hasn't come back. In fact, it's it's showing signs that it, that it may not. So is this an Alberta problem? Is this uh, an industry problem? Is this a global economics problem? What's the deal? Uh, all of the above. I think it's part of our, so the story of, of the globe piece, I think, why is this not coming back is you've got three challenges. Number one, there's still a lot of uncertainty about oil prices. Uh, number two, they're particularly for oil sands, uh, they're a very long bet on oil. You've got to be prepared to uh, put your money down today and wait years or decades even for, for the full return on investment. And people globally have been less willing to do that. And then of course, the, the climate question, which is, has put Alberta's resources in, in under a lot of scrutiny, and firms are just not willing to make those kind of big, long bets on emissions intensive oil in, in a time of uncertainty. So it has it has aspects that are that are specific to us and then some parts that are that are global. I, I thought that this was kind of cheeky. I wanted to give you a tip of the cap. Uh, yesterday, Alberta's premier quotes you. 
which was somewhat remarkable on its own for people that might know the background. But it's because it's a quote uh, that is friendly to him. It's a, it's a quote that works in his favor as, as he endeavors to continue to lead that party into an next election and achieve a second term as premier. You say the province is much brighter than we've seen in years. You joke that the premier finds yet another way to make everybody bad. The, the right will be mad because he's quoting you, Andrew, the guy who recommended a carbon tax for Alberta. The center will be mad because he's quoting you out of context. And the left will be mad because he's quoting an economist. So so maybe Jason Kenney continues to make everybody mad. And now you're dragged into it again. Uh, why don't we start with the right? You, you recommended a carbon tax for Alberta. That's true. Uh, I think a lot of people might look back now and say maybe it paved the way for some infrastructure development and for some pipeline approvals. And, and maybe that wasn't a bad thing. You've had prominent conservatives talk about carbon pricing, including Aaron O'Toole. So so maybe you get a pat. Maybe we don't need to spend as much time on that one. The center mad because you're being quoted out of context. What's the context? We always want context. Yeah, I mean, I think there is good news and bad news. As you said, there's this is way better, a way better fix, fiscal picture than we would have expected even six months ago. The the oil boom has kind of land or the energy crisis or whatever you want to call it has landed a lot more uh, money in our laps, essentially, than we would have expected. So from that perspective, it's good news. But I think the 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 context is we're still, you know, we're really back to or, or forecasting back to the world of 2016 2017 economic activity wise and when you when you think about what life was like here in in 2016 17 uh it was a pretty dark time for a lot of people and and the last few years have been pretty dark for a lot of people and i think that's uh where i think the context is important it isn't just you know myself or, or trevor toom at calgary or or whomever saying you know everything is perfect here in alberta and, and great 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 of course that's the message the the premier wants to send uh in a lot of ways and and so that's why i was taking a little little fun poke at him yesterday okay and and it, like it's obvious i well I, maybe i shouldn't start by saying that i i never want to assume that something's obvious but kenny the premier of alberta has started to invoke the campaign slogan again and not without people noticing jobs, economy and pipelines. It's what they ran on. It's what he wants to say that, you know, he's delivering on. Right. And and, and I saw a couple of days ago and, and I know the NDP took issue with it as because he issued a or he invoked a trigger warning in the Alberta legislature with mental health. Mental health advocates didn't really appreciate. But he started talking about how the NDP's left wing allies, if they could get out of the way, they could build the coastal gas link. But he started to talk about TMX and he started to talk about other pipelines and, and start to take credit for them, saying that Alberta is exporting now than ever before. People clapping back saying Alberta just lost like 4,500 jobs last month in the energy sector, Premier. So we're not sure exactly what's going on here. This is campaigning uh, by Alberta's Premier. But I think the average Albertan wants to know if we take a look at the fact that the deficit's going to be quite a bit smaller than anticipated because oil prices are quite a bit higher than anticipated. That's a good thing, right? So where does Alberta stand? All things considered as the average person who has to pay attention to their family and their job and shoveling their walks and getting Christmas presents and everything else. How do we understand where we are right now and where we're going and what the future prospects look like for job seekers and others? Uh, I'm going to do that thing that economists do where we're really pedantic about language. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's not so much about the average. It's about 
the ends of the distribution. We have some people for whom, you know, they've, they've been able to keep their jobs through the consolidation, their companies are doing well, their equity holdings, what have you, are, are back to where they were before, their dividends, all of these things are great, their companies are doing well. Uh, but then there are other people who are on the other side of that, um, who still haven't recovered, who haven't found that job, who were laid off in um, either in the 2014, 15, 16 downturn and, and never really got back to where they were or were laid off pre-COVID and are, aren't back. So I, I don't think it's a story of averages. I think it's a story of um, extremes almost in, in Alberta. And I think that's part of what's driving, uh, you know, the in some ways the the disconnect that we see between some of the sound bites and some of the reality on the ground. And, and of course, you know, the people who are struggling to make ends meet, who are trying to find their way through a crisis, they're probably not attending political conventions. They're not the ones who are meeting the premier talking about new multi-billion dollar investments. They're not the ones that are, are out doing that. They're, they're trying to find their way through a, a pretty difficult time. And so I think there may be a, also that disconnect in terms of who's being heard at the political levels, who's being heard um, by the government that, you know, look at Calgary real estate. That's that's a quick indicator of how many people who had, you know, good office based jobs two or three years ago no longer have them. I mean, there are some new buildings, but there are a lot of people who simply don't have those jobs anymore and those haven't all come back. But but I don't I don't understand what's going on with Calgary's real estate. And I don't understand what's going on with real estate across the country for that matter, but Calgary <laughs> just set a record in October for home sales. A friend of mine sold their house in October in Calgary and told me they had multiple offers and sold for I mean I guess context matters on what they listed it for, but they sold for almost 50 grand more than the ask right away with multiple offers. Like what I don't I can't wrap my mind around it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, housing's a different ballgame, and I think you're seeing some of that, uh, some of that world of people with people relocating to Calgary from other places that have seen massive real estate increases are able to, in some sense, cash out and and buy a much nicer property here than maybe what they sold in Toronto or elsewhere. Uh, but I think if you step back and you say to the people in Calgary who are selling their house today, how does what they're selling it for today compare to what they would have expected it to do from 2014 onwards? Uh, and certainly I think that's true in Edmonton as well. We've had a, a real estate recovery, but I don't know that we're back even to the levels of prices that we would have expected to see in 2014, let alone see the kind of returns that, that you've seen in, in other markets in the country. And I think on the commercial side, you know, downtown Edmonton, downtown Calgary, uh, you know, COVID's affecting it. But I think in some ways that COVID story is keeping us from looking, from taking a really hard look at some of the underlying fundamentals that have changed a lot as well in, in those markets. There's always there's that joke, that bumper sticker that maybe Eastern Canadians won't be familiar with. But, you know, Lord, please give us one more boom and we promise not to piss it away this time. Uh, and then we take a look at where oil's been between, I guess, 70 and 80 bucks a barrel ish. Uh, I always hesitate to put oil prices out there because they can change. And a lot of people think we should be looking at different prices. And I'll leave that to the experts. But the fact of the matter is, here we go again. I, I I already feel it. I'm sure you already feel it. The government e feeling a little bit less pressure itself, right? Crowing about how the deficit's going to be less than forecasted, saying our plan is working. 
what was the plan like to, to cross your fingers and hope that oil prices rose again? Here we are again. And I don't care where you are in the political spectrum. You feel less pressure when oil prices are high, but they're not guaranteed to be high and they won't be high forever. So, I mean, does that concern you as much as it clearly concerns me that in Alberta we lose our sense of urgency when the oil price rises again? I think the, the thing that concerns me more this time is that employment link. In the last time we had what I would call an, an oil sands project construction boom that went along with the royalty boom. So we had gas prices were high, oil prices were high. So the oil we were producing was generating a ton of revenue. But then we had all of these major bets happening on long term oil prices. And that's what we're missing right now. So that was one mechanism that took the boom and pushed it down to people here and also brought a ton of people, myself included, to the province, right? We were the place to be. And in some ways we were able to shelter a lot of uh, some other transitions that happen in, in Canada's manufacturing sector, et cetera, by having that massive jobs boom. And there, there's going to be some of that this time, but it can't just be the government is not going to have enough money to replicate that kind of employment boom that went along with the oil boom last time. And so I think that's sort of what people are still expecting. And I that's what worries me is that you have this expectation that the government is creating uh, that, you know, we're going to be back to those times. And and you know, maybe there's going to be 10 or 12 players who come in and sanction new projects and it's going to look like it did. Uh, or maybe there's some other golden goose there to, to emerge. But I, I don't see that on the horizon. So it's 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 we're not going to have a boom like the last one. And so, yeah, the government might be flush. Corporations might be flush. But what happens to that opportunity for, you know, the new grads, the students that I just taught for the last day yesterday? What does their their prospects look way better now than they did two years ago? No question. But um, are they back to a world that uh, that mid 2000s or 2010s world? I don't think so. Uh, you might not be the right. I should probably ask a dean or provost or someone as I don't want to put you on the spot. Uh, but but anecdotally, what do you see on the university campus? What well, enrollment at the U of A? It's like over 30,000, right? Isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of it's like a small it's like a small city. Um, do you see a whole bunch of like chemical engineers and, and, and uh, mechanical engineers and people there that would have been, uh, you know, 15 years ago, pretty well positioned to step into a relatively high paying role in, in an energy industry that had a bright future? What do you see anecdotally with regards to the 18 to 23 year olds right now and where they forecast is the smart place to be putting their post-secondary investment? Well, you could see it in programs. So I don't want to speak too much to programs outside yeah. of our our discipline, but certainly the mining engineering programs that were driven and, and backed by a lot of these new projects and growth in that sector, those haven't, uh, to my knowledge, seen any, any rebound from the downturn as of yet. Um, you're seeing a lot of rise of programs with you know, our energy system, signature area, sustainability programs, the ESG push that as of course uh, also seen in the, in the government here, that's pushing a lot of, of students towards that. And, that. and then just that awareness of a different uh, a different energy economy is, is definitely there. In terms of the, the numbers and the breakdown and, and who's seeing uh, what kind of job offers or, or the enrollment numbers, there'd be better people to, to speak to that yeah, than me. Absolutely. And, and I'm putting you on the spot. I was just curious to know what, what you see for, you know, from your perch, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, uh, certainly you see it's 
you know, for, for our students, I feel like it is also a better environment now than it was many periods over the last five or six years where the job search, the co-op opportunities, all of those are coming back and, and there's more optimism for sure. Uh, but it's, it's not the world of when I first moved to Alberta, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, in closing, I wanted to ask you this. We're always curious to know where industry can go, where trends are, what might attract international investment, where the jobs might be. These are the things that people care about. And I had a conversation, I'm not sure, several weeks ago with Alberta Innovates, and they had an interesting report, Bitumen Beyond Combustion. And they were talking about the potential futures of Alberta's oil sands, including the manufacture of carbon fiber and a bunch of other interesting things. Some people thought, gosh, this is really exciting. Other people thought this is total greenwashing. This is ridiculous. I haven't had a chance to talk to you uh, since that came out and most notably since COP26 wrapped. And of course, we know that international investment can can rise or fall based on global trends and statements from global leaders like Chinese and American leaders in particular um, in context of COP26 and everything else going on. How much of an impact do you think that might have on big international investment in Alberta? I think you're seeing a lot of different moving parts. So number one, there's the piece you talked about, uh, Alberta's industry trying to think about what are the other things we can do with bitumen. So great. But I think there's also that tendency for people to grab a little bit of a security blanket to say, it's okay, there are other things for which we use oil. So we'll still have a, a viable oil industry. And I think these are still drops in the bucket relative to the transportation industry in terms of global uses of oil. So yes, we make plastics. Yes, we make carbon fiber. Yes, we make all of these things. But that's not what's supporting a 100 million barrel a day oil industry. And so to think we're going to do a little more of that, great. I think that's absolutely what we should be doing. But don't pretend that that replaces uh, global oil demand as the world acts on climate change. It doesn't. Um, and then the second thing I think is really neat is to see, and you see it in the change in our government, right? From uh, Jason Kenney, who, when he was running for the leader of the premiership, I think he spoke to the Global Mail's editorial board and called uh, climate risk disclosure a flavor of the day or a flavor of the month. And now you're seeing our Canadian securities regulators all say, hey, we're going to come up with a mandatory framework for firms to disclose this. We see the government of Alberta having an ESG office to formalize and to communicate those messages globally. And you're seeing not just the, the pension funds, uh, major global investment firms, but also insurance companies, et cetera, that are changing their policies and moving away from making these investments. And so it's not just this idea of, you know, it's it, it's the hippies that are blocking the road or something that's preventing a project from going ahead. It's can I get and keep insurance? Can I get and keep um, major access to capital? Am I going to be able to fund this project all the way through? Um, all of those are linked, and I think you're seeing a big realization of that come even home to roost down at the at the legislature. Always appreciate your takes. Uh, you can follow. Dr. Leach on Twitter at Andrew underscore Leach or check out more about what he does at andrewleach.ca, uh, an energy and environmental ec economist uh, out of the Alberta School of Business, University of Alberta. Thanks for this. It's nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you as well. Yeah, you bet. Uh, Real Talkers, let us know what you think about this. I mean, we've, we've talked. If you like what you just heard, first of all, the first thing we'd love you to do is hit that like button. Uh, go ahead. By the way, uh, we're not afraid to ask for it. If you like what we're doing with the podcast, go ahead and give it five stars. 
I had I was in an Uber the other day and I'm walking out, but he just goes, just a reminder, five stars. I was like, you got it, pal. Five stars coming right up. I love that. He runs his business the same way we run ours, which is referrals and reviews. And we totally appreciate it. Uh, but also, you know, I mean, there might be somebody in your life. There probably is. Who could stand to hear that interview with Dr. Leach? We'd love if you'd share it around. Uh, we'd like to make it as easy as possible to share our content. You, you can do it in many different ways, including the highlights that Sarah puts out from our official Twitter account at Real Talk RJ. I had a chance to meet with the team from Eden Landscaping yesterday. Absolutely delightful family. The company's been family owned and operating uh, for more than 20 years. And I asked Mike, I mean, you can go to Landscape edmonton.ca to contact them directly i said what's the biggest reason why it would make sense for somebody to contact you right now for work to be done by next summer and he goes well everybody's talking about the supply chain he says like the pressure there is not going to ease in the next two weeks right those issues are expected to continue and so having your landscape designer also be your builder which is how they do it at eden allows for continuity and product choices when availability becomes a real problem so don't have your project get held up i mean nothing worse right than they they tear everything up in march april and and you've got dogs that need to go out to pee in the backyard and it's a big clay mud pit for the next six months sam while you're waiting for your lumber you know what I'm talking about? It's a disaster. It's a it disaster. Is an absolute disaster. You got to go get like the worst looking rattiest towel in the house. And that becomes the dog towel that goes at the back door. And every time the dogs come in from peeing, you got to wipe their paws. And it's almost like I have experience. Don't let that happen to you. Get in touch with Eden Landscaping today. They've got a ton of experience, a wide knowledge of landscape material and product offerings at landscapeedmonton.ca. Our friends at Friesen Brothers know that family time or maybe even just time to yourself you and a loved one or maybe a select few is what makes the holiday season so very special why not make it a december to remember and go with catering by friesen brothers it's none of the work and all of the praise including their christmas dinner box you can order your ready to reheat christmas box online at friesen.com and then you can just check out the Christmas catering options. I've had this dinner box. I'm going to show it to you in days to come. It'll knock your socks off. Plus, the Christmas feast at Friesen Brothers Fresh Market Stores goes every Saturday this month from 4 to 8 p.m. All you can eat turkey and ham dinner buffet for just 25 bucks a person. Speaking of eats, speaking of eats, our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park want to remind you that the blizzard of the month this month is the peppermint hot cocoa blizzard treat it blends their world famous soft serve with peppermint candy cane pieces choco chunks and cocoa fudge for unforgettable holiday flavors plus they're selling their dq bucks in support of the stollery children's hospital they never stop fundraising for the stollery it's why they're well over a million bucks raised already you donate five bucks you get five bucks back in dq bucks how cool is that? A big shout out to our friends at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And before we get to some international news, I wanted to remind you that when you talk to us, when you chime into us on the issues you're paying attention to, the hashtag RealTalkRJ is where we're looking. It's powered by the team at Park Power, your friendly local utilities provider. Today is a great day to go check out the options they have for variable and fixed rates. You're never locked in. So if you're concerned about price fluctuations, you can lock it in. But then if you get new information or your opinion changes, you can switch it up again. They're never locking you into deals. They want you to realize you have a choice and they want you to choose them. I love that swagger at Park Power. 
www.sarahhoyles.ca. Well, Sarah Hoyles keeps an eye on, of course, international news as it develops and uh, a high profile conversation via Zoom today between, I mean, arguably the two most powerful people in the world, American President Joe Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin as tensions rise on the Russia Ukraine border. It was great to see that, you know, even Putin and Biden do Zoom calls. Right. <laughs> like, phew, we're all doing this. We're all in this together. So Their this backgrounds is... look much more sort of like impressive with all the flags and the brass. Yeah, it looks yeah. elevated. Yeah. Uh, so that was Tuesday and uh, they met and Biden basically said, hey, if you keep on keeping on on Ukraine and invade it, we're going to impose strong economic and other measures is what he put like other measures, you know, and Putin said, hey, yeah okay we, we hear yeah but we want you to guarantee that nato would not expand further east basically they're saying we don't want ukraine to sign up for nato and <laughs> the u.s is kind of like well we we can't force a country to do anything yeah so, this is ninety thousand russian troops we're talking about mm-hmm. uh believed to be massed near ukraine's border and so it's it's strained what you might describe as an already tense relationship between russia and the u.s All I can think about yesterday is our conversation about Olympic boycotts, diplomatic boycotts. Our expert guest yesterday, if people missed the interview, you have to watch it. Is it it possible that China and the U.S. could go to war? He goes, yep. Yeah. I was like, like, excuse me. Pardon me. (laughs) Yep. So you've got the Americans now uh, staring down the Russians and the Chinese for different reasons. And this is a story that a lot of people are going to be keeping an eye on. Um, Sam, if you can tee it up for me, the the American uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan spoke after the two world leaders convened. We still do not believe that President Putin has made a decision. What President Biden did today was lay out very clearly the consequences if he chooses to move. And ultimately, we will see in the days ahead through actions, not through words, uh, what course of action Russia chooses to take. Okay, so that's the Americans uh, message uh, from National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan after the session yesterday, after our show wrapped. Um, We don't always have to keep an eye on the stories that are the most serious, uh, the tensions that could lead to World War Three. Sometimes it's other announcements like a new survey uh, that catches our attention, identifying which words and names were the most tricky for newsreaders. And television personalities to pronounce this year. Can I point out that I have had a hell of a time today saying the word economist and economics. I've been getting tongue twisted and tongue tied on it. And it happens. But this is compiled by the U.S. Captioning Company, which is a really interesting source. Yeah, they basically are saying that there are a variety of words that people can't say. And uh, this one gets me like I almost want to just kind of like mash it up and not say it really clearly. So it sounds like I know what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, Omicron, Omicron, yes, is what they're saying, and I've been saying Omicron or Omicron, Omicron, yeah, like so you, you can see Omicron Om- sounds like a transformer. That sounds amazing, <laughs> Omicron, Omicron Prime. Maybe I shouldn't be joking about it. Well, I, I don't know. You gotta find, you gotta okay find to, some levity wherever you can get it. Okay to laugh so we don't cry. Exactly. So they say it's Omicron, 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 the new COVID variant. Named, of course, after the Greek letter O. What about the next one? Glasgow, which I was like, yeah, everyone knows how to say Glasgow, um, which is the correct pronunciation. So I've been doing it right. But both Joe Biden and Barack Obama have been just slaughtering it, like really? just mashing it up. OK, there's nothing more beautiful than hearing someone from Glasgow say Glasgow. Oh, and yeah. I'm not going to I will just speaking of butchering. That is exactly <laughs> my Scottish accent goes in a different direction very quickly. It feels like an eternity ago that the Suez Canal was blocked. 
but this was another word flagged by the U.S. captioning company. This was an interesting one. Yeah. So the boat was called the Ever Given, but on the side, it's from the company Evergreen. So everyone was calling it the Evergreen. That's the name of the company. Ever Given is the name of the ship. So it's kind of a it's sure mispronunciation or just, uh, you know, mistaken identity. You talk to people that are sort of uh, intimate. That's a weird way to put it intimately involved. But yeah, people for whom the supply chain interruptions impact their daily lives and their business and people still point to ever given and the blockage of that Suez Canal for backing up some supply issues for months. It had a huge impact. And I think woke a lot of people up. About how global have we I mean, the average civilian, the three of us included, like, have, have, have we ever learned so much in such a short period of time about global supply chain and interruptions? We, we take yeah. everything so for granted, right? Absolutely. How much do we actually think about the fact that you order something? I mean, shop local, shop local. But if you happen to order something off Amazon, people go, yeah, I want like the prime special delivery. And all of a sudden it's at your door the next day shipped from somewhere halfway around the planet. I mean, it just uh, Sam, we ordered some new studio lights a while ago and I texted you over the weekend. We ordered them on a Friday. Yeah, they arrived just, at my house on a Saturday. It was very strange. What massive boxes of studio lighting for our new studio? I'm going, what on earth? I, I feel kind of weird about it. I was learning about it and it's because they have the different warehouses and it's about right. being able to have the warehouses as close to a person as possible. So they actually store them there and then they can ship it out. and It can seem like tickety boo but think of how many things they're stocking in those warehouses absolutely and then how many boats it takes and how many trucks that takes and how many trains that takes and the value of the inventory and the i mean it's Mm mind-blowing this amazon company keep an eye on it it could do big (laughs) things and finally this is this final one uh the ceo of our title sponsor has cautioned us against investing in this of course he has a vested interest uh in this field but another word commonly mispronounced was dogecoin dogecoin it has a dog on it but the dog has always been by memes referred to as doge it's the doge and so the the cute little dog's name um and his likeness ends up on the actual coin and of course it was popularized by elon musk and elon musk tweets about it it goes up and then he sells it it all goes down it's such market manipulation Mm. Hey, he buys like hundreds of millions. I don't know how much he bought, but he buys lots of it. And then he tweets about it and then everybody buys it. Then he sells it when it's high. Come on. Anyway. Uh, so what were people saying? Dogecoin? Is that the mispronunciation? Yeah, Dogecoin. Dog, oh, Dogecoin. Yeah. Right. Right. Got it. Dog Come on, coin. people. All right. Doge. Well, hey, whether your dog is on a crypto coin or you knew I could. You knew I would, everybody. Whether it's. You know, that family member of yours, that furry family member laying at your feet as we speak, you know that there are health benefits to consider when you decide what you're feeding your dog. The team at Grand Dog Essentials Quality Raw Food wants to remind you on their website, granddog.ca, they've got a ton of excellent information under their frequently asked questions and their blog on what it means to feed your dog a raw diet. Why do it? Why does it matter? How does it help? your furry family member. There's also supplements there to consider. Our older pop, Moses, he's nine, he's a boxer. He's using supplements now for his joint and mobility issues. We're seeing a return on that almost immediately, which is thrilling from a quality of life standpoint. The promo code REALTALK gets you 10% off your first time order at granddog.ca. Don't forget, if you live in Calgary, Edmonton, Central Alberta too, they'll deliver on a weekly basis right to your door, which is pretty cool stuff. Uh, Kubi Energy, uh, I'm excited about, we got a, we got an email from somebody that, that had some questions about a solar project. 
And my response to her was, check out kubienergy.ca. I'm not the expert. Jake is. But every time I talk to Jake and his team at Kubi, I learn something about what the future of sustainable energy could look like. Now, there have been objections. People will say cost, battery storage, lifespan. This is an industry that is changing and advancing faster than you would believe. And Kubi Energy is at the leading edge of that. You can get your free quote today on residential, commercial, industrial, or agricultural applications. And don't forget the team at Kubi Energy also presenting positive reflections every Monday here on the show. If you have something that just made your day, a random act of kindness, a pay it forward story, we'd love to hear it. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make sure in the subject line you put positive reflections. And before we take you out to the mountains, I want to remind you that Athabasca University is Canada's online university. It feels like every time I go on this website, I learn something new about what they're doing. Last week, it was the Bitcoin Academy I was telling you about in partnership with Bitcoin. Well, that's through their Power Ed program. Before that, it was learning French. Before that, it was artificial intelligence. I mean, it's an unbelievable breadth of options. And now you might be looking to upgrade yourself in one specific subject or maybe take a course to get back in the swing of things. Maybe you're looking for a full-blown degree. Whatever it is, you can work at your pace on a schedule that works for you. Check out AthabascaU.ca for more. Every Wednesday, it's our absolute pleasure to partner up with the team at Tourism Jasper to, to take you out to the mountains and to breathe that fresh air, if only using our imaginations, wistfully remembering the last time we were out in Jasper and maybe the next time we plan to head west or east, depending on your perspective and where you're hearing us from. It's My Jasper Memories. And in this week's edition of My Jasper Memories, we celebrate the tradition that is Jasper in January. Now, January's got this, this kind of an unfair reputation, isn't it fair to say? It's kind of like this dark month. The days are super short. Well, that's the magic that sort of sets the table for this annual festival. It's the lighter side of winter. And that's why for more than 30 years, Jasper in January has been kind of the nexus of, of joyful mountain culture. Good times in any weather. And this year, what an opportunity to rediscover this playful festival with the help of your favorite seasonal activities and some fresh new twists. Like, so you know the Jasper and January Festival has been known for its great deals on ski and spa and multi-day events. And that's going to happen on the Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays from January 14th through the 30th at the in, in downtown Jasper at my favorite place, the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge Pyramid Lake, which is a mind-blowing venue or out by iconic landmarks around the National Park, like Moline Canyon and Marmot Basin. This is my invitation for you to send us your photos and video of your Jasper memories. We love to see them. The Moline Canyon Ice Walk, to me, is one of the coolest things that you can do in Canada in the winter. And so this festival falls on kind of on the happy side of the winter solstice. The days are getting longer. The sun glinting off that snow. Uh, in particular, in my mind, at Marmot Basin, you're sitting on the chair there. Incredible. Look at this. Sam's showing us some amazing photos here. The Polar Plunge. That's what that is at Pyramid Lake. Have either of you done the Polar Plunge, the Polar Bear Swim? Is that in your... Ugh, no. Hoyles, <laughs> is that something you could be convinced to do? Not in Jasper, per se, that I've done it. I was a camp counselor when I was a kid, and we did the Polar, did the bear, polar swim. bear Swim. Yeah, in the mornings. It's it's like... Wake it, up, campers! Yeah, it's like the Wim Hof kind of idea of, like, it takes you to another place. What an amazing adventure. Uh, what about lace them up put on your game face for the jasper cup their pond hockey tournament how cool is that you're not going to find a more beautiful venue for pond hockey than out there and then of course you've got the whiskey wine and hops 
wine in winter and the Jasper in January après ski deals. You can celebrate at the street party, the fireworks show, and then the outdoor music at Marmot Basin, which is uh, one of the greatest ways to spend an afternoon into the evening, if you ask me. You can find out more details by checking out de- jasper.travel slash real talk. And again, as always, we would love to see your Jasper memories. You can hit us up on Instagram. You can hit us up on Twitter. Make sure you use the hashtags MyJasper and RealTalkRJ. Now, before we sign off for the day, I wanted to tell you about a couple exciting things that we have cooking here at Real Talk. If you go to our website, ryanjesperson.com, now is a great time to do it. You're going to see that our question of the week is back. Uh, gave the team at Y Station a couple of weeks to just recharge their batteries. They've been incredible for us. So you go up to connect on the website and then there you'll see it. The question of the week under connect. And we're asking you about photo radar. We want to know where you land on it. Do you see it as a cash cow? Do you see it as a lifesaver? Effective, ineffective? Where do you land on photo radar? We're going to be bringing you the results of that survey early next week. And and, and I suspect that that's going to lead to a great conversation because guess what? Not everybody agrees on photo radar. Not even in this studio. Those are the best kind of conversations to have. And this is the official announcement that we're making. An official announcement. The inaugural Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. What? Say what? If you go to RyanJesperson.com under the events page and click on Pond Hockey, you will find that as of this morning, registration is now open for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic 2022 presented by Molson Canadian. It goes Saturday, January 29th, 2022 in the beautiful city of St. Albert. You can sign up right now. Uh, You can register a team. You can register to volunteer or you can investigate sponsorship opportunities. We're endeavoring to raise at least $50,000 for some great charities with our friends at the Canadian Progress Club. That's Camp Warawa, Uncles and Aunts at Large and Kids Sports. I'm so excited about this. We're capping registration at 40 teams. So if you want to make sure that you reserve your spot, today's a great day to do it again at RyanJesperson.com under the events link. Tomorrow, we've got a great show in store, including a video we've been sitting on for Eat Your Words, presented by our friends at Prairie Catering. We're also going to take a look at why our hearts start to beat in sync with our romantic partners that we as we age. It's a real thing and an amazingly timed follow-up to our conversation today about friendship. We want to thank you for yours, your friendship with this show. We mean it. See you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Editorial producer, Sarah Hoyles. Technical producer, Sam Brooks. Managing director, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Tanya Franklin. Merchandise operations, Katie Cook-Chivers. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Julie Rohr, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.